0: Welcome to Bike the Orange. Through our conversations, we create a roadmap for the future of health with the most impactful leaders in the space. This is your host, Dr. Manu Fumble. Let's make the future of healthcare a reality together. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Bike the Orange. And today we have a very special guest with a very unique background, and that is no other than Dr. Robin Farman Famayam. Am I correct, doctor? Yes. Perfect, with that being said, so for those that know you and those that don't know you, tell us about yourself, who is Robin?
1: So I am in Silicon Valley. I've been here uh, in the Bay Area for 25 years on cutting edge technology and innovation. I'm an early stage entrepreneur and I've worked in over 20 early stage companies, including cherry cancer by uh, finding small molecules using AI for drug discovery. Worked on sleep apnea, uh, inhaled insulin, and currently I'm working on ZR for radiologists, as well as remote patient monitoring for oncology and oncology clinical trial.
0: That is quite fascinating. I first read about you several years ago, and I think it's a book you wrote, which, congratulations, by the way, I think being an author is quite an accomplishment, right? For those that don't know, try writing a book and you find out what the process is like. So, thank you for congratulations on that piece. It was a very interesting book, and I want to start from that piece. And The book was about the patient as CEL. So tell us, what's your story? What got you to actually get to the point of writing that book?
1: Sure. The whole entire reason I went into the world of healthcare is because as a teenager, I was misdiagnosed with an autoimmune disease, and I ended up having 43 hospitalizations, six major surgeries, and three organs removed. By the time I was 26 years old, this was seven years after I'd had my entire large intestine surgically removed, which was considered a cure at that time. But I definitely wasn't cured. And so my pain doctor just kept saying, okay, you're just gonna be in pain for the rest of your life and kept upping my opiate dose until eventually I was on 80 milligrams a day of methadone, which is an absolutely gigantic dose of opioids. And I hated it. So I went to my pain doctor as as soon as I could get back into them. I said, I need off of this now. I think the rebound pain is worse than the original pain. And they said, okay, next step could be to surgically implant a morphine pump into your spine. I was like, wait a second. I was 26 years old. I was essentially a shut-in. The hardest thing I could do sometimes was take a shower. And what I was hearing from my doctors was that was the rest of my life. And so I said, absolutely not. And I fired my entire healthcare team, became the CEO of my own healthcare and my world. Dropped my own methadone dose by about 40% and went through pretty severe opioid withdrawal by myself for about seven or eight days, where all you can do is like drink lemonade and eat salt off the tip of your finger. And then I, at the end of the week and i was just feeling better, I rebuilt my care team with doctors that worked with me as a team and a colleague. I got diagnosed correctly with Crohn's disease, put on an ID medication called Remicade. And within 24 hours of that very first dose, I went into remission.
0: That's a very sad story, Robin, and I, I'm glad that you've you've found the right solution for you, and I think it's a big problem that a lot of people in America today are facing. You look at the opioid crisis, for example. a lot of people got addicted to opioid.'s it's not because they went on the street and just got it. It's because they started off with sub condition or some doctor prescribed was brought for them, and then uh, they happened to get on it, and we know what has happened since then for be a- affected Alzhritis, and we know also that many people with, with several conditions. If you look at ulcerative colitis, for example, if you look at Crohn's, sometimes it's similar in certain ways, but people should do the right test to actually find the right diagnosis. Time to diagnosis is something that's a big issue. So, with that experience that you had, can you please talk to us what your thoughts are and feelings are about the need for early diagnosis, a
1: proper diagnosis? Oh, diagnosis is everything because it leads on to every other aspect of healthcare. If you think about it, there are two massive interventions we can now do in the world of healthcare, and it's only been like this for about 80 years of all of human history, which is surgery and pharmaceuticals. And yes, I'm incredibly healthy. I've been a vegetarian my whole half of my life. I work out seven days a week. I do all the healthy habits you can possibly think about, but that in and of itself does not put my Crohn's disease in remission. It really comes down to being able to do all of the behavioral intervention. And for me, that's just an incredibly important part of it. And once you've gotten diagnosed correctly, you can get on the right therapeutic, which can put you into remission. The other thing about a diagnosis, is it follows you around. So I moved from Boston. I went to the best doctors in Boston. And then I moved to California and I went to the best doctors out here in California. But at the end of the day, I was diagnosed. So the first thing they see on their chart is, is ulcerative colitis, a misdiagnosis. And so they just automatically assume Everything is because of the UC. And the, the diagnosis um, really gets in the way of being able to help the patient.
0: I found it very interesting as a speaker on, on a podcast, especially on by the orange piece. And I'll take a completely different turn on this conversation because a lot for us we'll all learn, listen, I'm actually... Very proud of how you create a brand for yourself, right? I, you understand? So when I, one person that I look at and I see the author piece, I see this picture piece, I see the entrepreneur piece, right? It's something that you created for yourself. And I think it's something very unique, right? That's something like someone like myself can learn from and other listeners can learn from. So how did you go about building this unique piece? So you have different parts of the stories. I don't want to put you in a box, right? I want you to be yourself. And so talk to us, how did you create Oh, Dr. Robin.
1: Early on in Silicon Valley, wait, 10, maybe 12 years ago, I went into Silicon Valley and I I work on the business side of tech companies and big conferences and the men were pushing me down like every which way you could think about it. They were sabotaging me. They were stealing my work. And I realized you can't fight that in the U.S. directly through things like HR is not there to help the, the women not be abused by the men in the company. It's there to protect the company. And so I decided instead, I said, oh, you know what? How can they not push me down? How can they stop from being able to erase me from websites as if I didn't even exist? And I said, oh, you know what it is? If I become a professional speaker, nobody can push me down. Myself into a professional speaker and on what things that I wanted to speak at. And it included things like the book. And so finally, when I launched the book, and this was back in 2015, it changed the equation absolutely changed the equation. And now I feel like I'm in a tank and the men who were pushing me down are on horseback. And which is hilarious. And so I've been now a professional speaker for over 10 years. But when Me Too happened in 2016, 2017, I was like, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize this happens to all women because you always think that it's really only happening to you. Because
0: no one talks about it. Everyone suffers with it privately. Right. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So I said, OK, you know what? I'm going to take that five year project plan that I created for myself. I'm going to standardize it and template it so that women and minorities can use it, use my own project plan, regardless of what industry and what position they're in. And so I came out with my second book called The Thought Leader Formula, and it's really that step-by-step instructions on how do you build a personal brand to drive career goals as well as business goals? Because of course, in Silicon Valley, if you're a CEO of a startup, sometimes it can get really hard to get inside the corporate doors or inside the venture capitalist doors. And so by building a personal brand, you can pull your company up with you.
0: And that's a really good kind of roadmap. I would love to hear you, you know, give us like like a high level version of it. And of course, I would like to refer all the listeners to your website that to have to get in contact with you. We have your contacts in the show notes, but that's something I think is very important. And I think in healthcare in general, there's difficulty in change, right? And so as leaders uh, in this particular space, whether you're a patient entrepreneur whatever it is, you have a role to play, right? And I think telling your story and how you create that roadmap is also very important, how it becomes successful, right? As I think we could take whatever you are applying here, that formula and apply it across the board to different things that we do. So. What is like the overall plan? piece of a big, I want you to give you a, this, all the resources here, but at least what is that? Give us a tease of what that is. What it looked
1: like. So every single chapter has action items. So there's homework and a workbook that comes with this so that you can map it up, map it out as it goes along. First thing I say, start with your why. Why do you do what you do? And you've already heard my two stories on why I do what I do. It's because People don't care necessarily about what you're doing. They care about why you are doing it, right? That's the interesting thing. And so getting that into an elevator p- pitch, should I teach people how to do like the one-liner, the two-liner, the elevator pitch on themselves? And then you've got to come up with your business model. Okay, it's great, but being a thought leader does not pay those. How are you going to actually get money from this? Is it a salary because you can suddenly get promoted and you've got more negotiating power? Is it because you're a CEO of a startup and you get funded? Is it through professional speaking like I do? I charge now $20,000 for a lot of my keynotes. Book sales, that is never going to be a business model. So like thinking about that through your book is your marketing, essentially a marketing asset. And I teach people how to get a book done really quickly including, and I tell a story, this one's awesome. My friend Monica, she was a painter, like an artist, right? Beautiful paintings. And she decided oh, five or six years ago that she wanted to become an expert on blockchain and be on stage and talk about blockchain at all the conferences. And I told her, I'm like, what you need to do is write, Blockchain 101. You don't want to be the speaker that's trying to compete with all the bros who are also talking about crypto and blockchain. You should be the only expert on blockchain at the entire conference and inside of corporations. And so what she did is she took my book with the patient as CEO, switched out the title, switched out the photo to serve as her $3 business card. She wrote it in eight days. She wrote essentially a 30-page PDF. And I call that instead of writing a book, write a PDF. She uh, uploaded to Amazon in both a paperback as well as a download. And within three months of launching her book, she was asked to speak at MIT, which is just incredible, but that, right?
0: But that, that, that is, that, that's quite oh, interesting gosh. as well. But there's also a lot more to to it than that. What I'm talking to, for example, have you always been like a public speaker kind of person? Have you always been like a jovial kind of person? Because I see your personality, like someone that can talk. I'm an introvert, you don't know me personally, but I'm an extrovert in certain situations, right? And, but I, I see it comes natural to certain people, which would don't expect everyone to become a speaker. <laughs> of course, we don't expect everyone to become a leader, right? But so what are some of those attributes that you identify I get, as some things that someone... That has a naturally could say, Hey, maybe I could do this.
1: So I say 90% of people can be a professional speaker or become a thought leader if they choose to, right? And they make that commitment. It is a lot of time. It takes multiple years to build a brand that you could go inside of corporations and do things. But what it is being really clear on your message, right? So when you first launch yourself, like what I did was I wrote the book, The Patient, everyone knows exactly what that means, right? Just like Shakespeare tells an entire story in one line, that's what you need to think about, right? And so what is your story? What are you teaching people? Because that is that slim slice of vertical, essentially, where people can remember what you're doing. And then after you have launched yourself as that professional speaker or even just a public speaker, you don't necessarily need to go inside of corporates and charge. And I teach people uh, what kind of conferences pay for speakers and what kind of conferences are for for us. Um, But once you've launched yourself and really have a following and and are being asked to speak at other places, then you can dramatically expand your brand. Right. And so that's one of the big tricks that I talk about on how to be that professional speaker and the skill set around that. In fact, I can't remember what chapter it is, but I do have a chapter where you have to map out your skill set and then map out the skills that you don't yet have, but you need to learn over the next couple of years to make yourself successful as a thought leader or speaker.
0: Which is quite interesting. And I find this very nice, actually, because we have a lot of patients who have great stories and unique stories that they could share with the world. Right. And that's what I like about how you did that. Because you could have someone that has Crohn's disease that can actually tell that story. We think corporations that actually make a change, right? You could have uh, a caregiver that has someone that to care that they could actually share that voice, right? <laughs> to influence change. And that comes all the way in this concept to help enable change, right? Because if we don't speak up and we don't change what people think, then we could never actually achieve the future healthcare that we are talking about. So with that being said, I know that you're down in Silicon Valley area, what got you interested in AI and, and what, what are your thoughts around AI and his role in the impact on future healthcare?
1: Ray Kurzweil is one of my mentors and one of my closest friends. And he is just one of the fathers, essentially, of AI. And I worked for him for a couple of years, 10 to 15 years ago, and we've been good friends ever since. And so he really got me into the world of professional speaking and, and thinking about artificial intelligence right? And so right now in the world of AI, is incredibly exciting as it's intersecting into healthcare. Everything from the large language model, like GPT, to digital therapeutics, vocal biomarkers, which means using a patient's voice or cough as a vital sign. And of course, the world of predictive analytics, right? That is one of the biggest things that uh, AI can do right now in the world of healthcare is that predictive analytic piece.
0: Which is interesting, when I talk to people about AI and healthcare and people show up, about, oh, is it possible? I go, hold on, calm down. Right? As a physician, I'll tell you, every human being, whether you're smart or dumb, it doesn't matter, right? But we make decisions based on logic, right? So if this, then that, right? If I wake up or do I sleep, that's decisions, right? So same as zeros and ones, same as algorithms, it's just logic, right? It's different computer systems that we have today, like computer science, where ways advanced too who could take a massive amount of data to actually make that informed decisions, which is what how we all function, how we make decisions in general. So where do you see the future of healthcare five years from now to impact uh, patients with Crohn's disease in your particular case? What will be different? You have cake for example, you mentioned, right? Yeah. Well, uh, hopefully less had early diagnosis, but where do you see? How do you see the advancement in that period of
1: So what I'm seeing is a massive shift in care to the patient's home. Everything from dialysis to IV medication, like my IV remedy I get in home now, to the hospitalization and acute care in the home. And so over the next five years, you're not going to need to go to clinics anymore. You need to be hospitalized. Instead, companies like Bioformist or there's a number of dispatch health will come in, set up the hospitalization at home and then staff it. So whether they need to have a nurse come in once a day, once every two days or four times a day, whatever is needed for that particular patient, you can be hospitalized at home and then you can be discharged at the end of that. What that does with those words is it really uh, sets the stage for the payer reimbursements for the payer payments, but not having to go to an ER anymore or getting any of that done in a clinic is a big deal. And then the home environment is going to be much more robust. So instead of getting your blood pressure taken four times a day, if you're hospitalized, Instead, you have something like the Vital Connect or BioBeat. BioBeat does continuous blood pressure monitoring. And so all of a sudden, instead of three data points a day, we have millions of data points every day on every single patient. And so it'll become almost like your environment, your clothing, the walls with wall sensors and your body with sensors, almost continuous monitoring and catching things five or six days before they become an actual problem.
0: It's quite fascinating talking to you. I see your passion about this piece, right? I, I know it's interesting. I've called several clinicians on the phone and I said, hey, do you know you could use uh, a remote monitoring solution? Oh, sorry, I don't really have time right now. I don't have all these patients to see. And they have this. These are clinicians in the space, right? But talking to you I'm looking at your very diverse kind of background and your passion for it, everyone can be involved in this movement. Everyone can make it happen. Everyone can get in full, right? And some of the companies you mentioned, for example, Bioformis, i remember ever been in Kaldip several years ago in Singapore, like from a conversation while he was still based in Singapore. And I'm seeing him now in Boston and see how they have grown it up. And outside of it, I'm very proud of them, what they do doing HealthTap, I know you've been involved in HealthTap out of Miami. Peace, right? Like fam, I've seen them and see where they've grown and where they are gone like during COVID period and where Sam has established himself. And I'm very proud of what they're doing over there. BioBeat, for example, what they've done. And I think topics of Winterlight Labs on voice biomarkers. I think these things are all fascinating, right? But I think for us to get there, a lot of the leadership skills or things that you actually teach or what you do for a living could help everyone listening, regardless of what field you in, in. you could reach out to Robin, right? And Robin could help you establish that thought leadership as well to chase whatever your dreams are and make whatever you're trying to make out possible. So with that being said, Robin, this does not come out smoothly. I'm sure there'll be some challenges, right? I know you mentioned the, the initial part, the challenge of being a woman, of course, in the corporate world, you mentioned that part. But what other challenges have you faced along the way?
1: there are a lot of challenges, no matter what you look at it within building your own thought leadership platform. What, what
0: what about the idea of quitting your job, right? That, that, that's one of the key pieces where well, you have a job, or right? you've been doing this for quite some more, quite, quite some time. i see many executives or people that work for corporations for a long time, and the idea is, do I lead now or they get terrified? And when they leave, they lose their sense of identity. right That's something that you go through. And I think to be an old therapy group for this <laughs> right. And I think is a challenge. So what do you think about, what? how, how did you navigate that, that that period or how did you know the people that navigated that, that initial period?
1: So initially I used to work full time for corporations, right? So or startups. And that means all of a sudden your entire identity gets wrapped up in the company that you work with. And so instead I changed that whole entire model and I'm like, you know what, I'm not going to work full time for companies necessarily anymore. I'm going to have multiple clients and multiple bis- what I call revenue streams. And that way you can build your personal brand. Like uh, mine is now patient as CEO, as well as um, how AI can democratize healthcare. So people know exactly what I am an expert in and you just go from there. But really having that strong personal brand means you're not tied to any kind of a company anymore. Which means when you leave a company, you're not being devastated by this whole, oh my gosh, so is my identity. You aren't what you do, you are what you decide to put out there in the world.
0: That's quite interesting uh, as well. But so, what do you see in your, in your career journey where you go? What do you see? What, what do you, where you open to accomplish in the next year or the next few years?
1: Where I'm going personally? Yeah, where you going? Oh, I, well, my, I have a life goal of positively impacting over one 100 million patients worldwide, right? And so I like to work on the big diseases. And so the way I see my career going is, of course, many more keynotes because my favorite thing in the entire world to do is give a keynote. But then secondly, really impact that 100 million patients. And so I like to really concentrate on some of the biggest diseases out there, diabetes and oncology and sleep apnea, because these all are foundational type diseases. And I can dramatically change the equation for a lot of patients that way.
0: No, that's quite fascinating. I I don't want to take up too much of the time, but I'd love to have you back, Robin, to the show. I think it's been quite fascinating. So, anyone listening, if you, uh, I'm sure you could benefit from all the services that Robin is offering. Myself, of course, personally reach out and sign up as well to support Robin. I'm sure there's a lot I could learn. But Robin we would love to have you. But if you're listening, please let's listen help support her. If you have a keynote speaker, you should definitely get Robin on there. He has the right and experience to make this happen. So, thanks a lot, Robin. Hope we'll get you back in the show in the future.
1: Sounds good. I had a great time. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to Bite the Orange. If you want to change healthcare with us, please contact us at info at emmanuelfabu.com, or you could visit us at emmanuelfabu.com or bitetheorange.com. If you like this episode and want more information about us, you could also visit us at emmanuelfabu.com.